0: Welcome to the weekly podcast of Calvary Chapel, South London, a church where the truth of God's word meets and transforms the reality of our daily lives. We hope you are impacted by this week's teaching. Today's message is Marriage Matters. Marriage Matters. And in the context of our dedication, how many of you know I mean, even though that's true, (laughs) marriage matters, and we're going to briefly be looking at some sections in Genesis one and two. But before we dive in, I'm going to take opportunity to pray. Dear Lord God and our Father in heaven, thank you again for your amazing grace. Father, thank you for all that you provide for us, even when we don't even understand what you've provided or why you've provided it. Thank you. And thank you for helping us to gradually, progressively, as Pastor E said, as we're drawing near to you, Lord. You're drawing near to us and you're teaching us, you're helping us, you're instructing us. You're disciplining us as a, as a good father in order that we might live lives that are joy-filled, but that fundamentally glorify you. And would you help us to further understand that today? For the, for the sake of the Lord Jesus, in his name and for his fame, we pray. Amen. 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 Marriage matters. Now, this has a double meaning. Marriage matters in terms of marriage issues or issues relating to marriage. We want to talk about matters of marriage. But we also want to say that marriage matters. Can I get a witness? (laughs) Amen. We want to say that marriage is important. It's something that matters. Now we talked to We've talked about the issues we're going to talk about today in our singles, some, some, some single people don't like to be referred to as singles, in our unattached ministry, transitions, that's actually going for a transition, because I think they're going to rename it and rebrand it, and we talked about these issues in that context, so some of you guys are going to be familiar with some of the things that we're going to talk about. But we've also um, we also talk about this stuff in our marriage counselling, and many of you guys have been through marriage counselling, which is wonderful, and are now married and are in the process of getting married. Courtney and Davinia, can I get a witness? <laughs> Amen. And <clears throat> I was like, you know what? Particularly today, I was like. We, don't, we, haven't talked to, we haven't talked to the church generally about this stuff. So, hey, how about an opportunity for us to do so? Um, and I think this is one of those types of messages that we need to hear at least once a year. I, I think. You may not think that at the end of the message. I don't know. How many of you know that families are in pain? How many of you know that parents are in pain? That children are in pain, that society in general is in pain. I've, I've had at least five different, different incidents that relate to marriage in some way, shape or form just over the past seven days. And I was like, Lord, it's like these issues of marriage, like these matters of marriage. I'm like, Lord, marriage matters. And I couldn't help but share this message with you because it's what's on my heart and let me show you a few categories that I think we all fall into fall under first of all you've got before marriage those who are not yet married maybe anticipating marriage intending to be married maybe not even thinking about marriage but possibly may end up married or may never get married before marriage then you've got the second category which is the married group and in a married group, I just put simply: you got those at the beginning of marriage, like couple. We got couple um, couples got married this year. I think over the past four years, five years, we've had like twenty-four weddings, something like like six a year, kind of on average. And <clears throat> you have got some at the beginning, some at, <laughs> some some in the middle, and some towards the end. I, I, you've got. You've got individuals that are divorced. Separated after once being married. You've got some who have been widowed. We all... A widow is, is, is a female who, who's, whose partner has passed away, or a, a widower is a male whose partner's passed away. It's, we all relate in some way, shape, or form up close and personal or at a distance to marriage and in terms of that list I think I'm in the middle literally the words middle I'm in the middle um after being married for I think how many years we've been married now guys it's 24 years now sit up where's my I should be looking at my wife right I'm looking at Pastor E only because he's the closest metaphorically speaking because normally like, when we do stuff, especially when, like, when me and Pastor used to, like, used to rap and do like, Christian gospel um, hip-hop, we'd always be together and people would be like... like and it, we just always had this running joke. We're together, but hey, we're actually not together. Uh, so I should be looking for my wife. She's somewhere here. Um, and <laughs> It's going to be one of those days, boy. Um, I'm in the middle. 20, 20, 24 years... This year we'll be married. Amen, my brother. Thank you. Amen. Glory to God. I know. I know. (laughs) Glory to God. He deserves all the glory, all the honor, all the praise. (laughs) Amen, brother. So, where are you? Because you're somewhere in there. Somewhere. Now, some people have experienced some of these, some have experienced all of these. Your parent or your parents will fall into these categories, and whatever happened to them, directly or indirectly, has or will affect you in some way. But essentially, we can we can boil that whole that all of those categories down to two categories, which are the married and the unmarried. Now, regarding these two groups, look how dramatically things have changed, excuse me, over the past few years. Now, if you're like me and your eyes are not so good, can you guys hear me at the back? Because I think I saw someone shaking their head saying, do you need some more volume? All right. I'll try not to raise my voice, so maybe the guys can give me some more volume. <clears throat> Having a look at this graph, it spans from 1965 on the left over to 2010. Right? My maths ain't good, so I ain't going to try and figure out how many years that is. Down the left-hand side, you have the percentage of people getting married out of the whole population. In 1965, you can see it was really high. It was like 95% of the population were getting married. Look at the tangent. Look at the trajectory over the the past, what, 50-odd years, 60 years. 2010, look where it's ended up. That is the percentage of the population that are getting married. Now... You got two colours there, two lines, right? The blue one and the green one. The blue one was individuals who have a high school or less education. I don't know modern day GCSEs. You know, if if, if they got, if you got your GCSEs, and that's probably the most you got. If you got that, like me, I got one equivalent of GCSE was O levels back in the day. I got one O level in English. Oh my goodness, nothing to shout about, but much to thank God for. <laughs> Because I shouldn't have a job out here, you know what I mean? And you find that the green line is those who are, who are bachelors or, 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 or more in terms of their education, got degrees and gone quite far in terms of their education. Can you see the difference in the lines? Back in the 60s, you had those who had um, less of an education, were, were inclined to get married, but those who had better education weren't. Now, you look for like now, in, uh, now roughly now in, in the year 2010, look how it's changed where those who have higher education end up getting married and those who have a lesser education are not really kind of interested in marriage. Can you see that? Look how times have changed. Here's another graph, and this is it's, it's kind of similar, but I think it adds another dynamic. So you've got in red, the marriages since 1932 now to 2012. And again, you can see how high it was back in the 30s versus today. And you see a little, well, a major drop, like a trough, right, in 1942 because of the Second World War. And I I don't have time to describe the whole um, graph, but the blue one you can see now identifies divorces. In 1932, my gosh, divorces were nearly zero. To the point where now, look how they've risen in terms of our modern day. So the stats suggest that marriage isn't as popular as it used to be, at least in terms of our lifetimes, right? Our lifetime, our parents' kind of lifetime. It's not that popular. But how many of you know relationships are still the order of the day? Hey. You only have to watch programs like "What Happened in," I mean, this phrase was common before Kavos. Pastor E said it earlier. Ayanapa, <coughs> ayanapa, right? <laughs> Kavos. This is a this is a, a screenshot from literally from Channel Four's kind of their website with, with regards to their TV listings, right? What happens in a place called Sunny Beach and Kavos? They're two of the... Like, it I and I, what was the other one we said? Iyanapa and Ibifa. I, I, I always struggled with how to pronounce that because of the spelling. But we went there, right? This is the new horn. And you know what? It's, it's, it's guys as well as girls... It says up in the top right-hand corner, if you can't read it, I'll try and read it. Documentary series, what happens in Sunny Beach and Cavos. Documentary series following young Brits on holiday abroad to see what really happens in the hedonistic party towns of Sunny Beach and Cavos, away from parents and surrounded by temptation. This sounds like I could have made that up. That's, 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 that's what they say. Because it's so, it's so blatant, right? And my point is relationships ain't gone out of fashion, but the way that men and women relate to each other is another thing. It's a next thing. Now, I'd like to take some time just to redress this issue <clears throat> and do so from God's point of view, which in our popular culture, our pop culture, right, is either unknown or it's ignored or it's completely rejected. It's either unknown, it's ignored, or it's completely rejected. Did you hear this week about Travelodge? travel lodge have removed all bibles from their hotel rooms there's so much i'd like to say about that but i ain't got time you can have a look and look at i would encourage you to look at the whole issue and that which motivates and drives it imagine gideon's bible's in the drawers when you used to get in the hotels how many of you know people get up to a lot of mischief in hotels I'm sure the Bible in the drawer has been a deterrent or a convicting factor <laughs> for years. Now it's gone. It's like saying, we want, the, we want your world, God, but we don't want your word. It's like saying, we want your stuff, God, but we don't want you. Today, we want to, I want to invite God to take his rightful place so that we're reminded Sorry, so that we're, 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 we're informed if we don't know, that we're reminded if we've forgotten and we're neglecting, and that we're warned if we're rejecting. Genesis 1 verse 1 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. You see who this whole thing starts with? Day one, God created the firmament and the sky and the heavens. Day two, the water and the dry land. Day three, he made the plants and the trees. Day four, the sun, moon, stars, and the planets. Day five, the living creatures and the sea and the birds and land animals. And every time, every day he made something, it said, and it was good. And it was good. Five times, and it was good. But then, there was a dilemma. And I've got to be careful how i choose that word because... It's a dilemma in the pages of scriptures. We look at it not from God's point of view. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? God's never, you know, like nervous, like leaning over heaven with white knuckles, saying, "Oh no, look what they've done. What am I going to do?" No, that's not. That's not. That's not the God that we know and serve, and the God of the Bible. But there's a there's a seeming dilemma because look, even though everything is good in Genesis two, now it says, "These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created at the day that the Lord God made the heavens, the earth, and the heavens." And there was no man to work the ground. Oh no. What are we going to do? Verse 6 And a mist was going up from the land There was watering the whole face of the ground. <clears throat> then the Lord God formed a man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. The man owes his existence. Are you going to do anything apart from understanding and appreciating you own your, that I own that we, we are, we ha- our existence is incumbent upon the fact that God gave it to us? We're supposed to love the Lord in that sense with all our heart, with all our soul and all our strength and all our might. And it said, And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east and there he put the man who he had formed. Right? Question. Why did God make the man? End of verse five. Because there was no man to work the ground. Right? And what is the solution to the dilemma? Verse, The end of verse 8, I've highlighted it. And there he put the man who he had formed. So the, there's the solution. My point is, can you see that the man is brought into an already existing context? <laughs> remember, remember who this started with? It started with God. My point is, it does not start with the man. Hey. Like the, whole, like the world does not revolve around me. Or you. We've been brought, like Adam, into a context that has already existed. Therefore we're getting an inclination as to the fact that this is not just about us. There's a bigger purpose going on around us. See, men, are, men and women are, are, they are the pinnacle of God's creation, but they're brought into the context of a world that needs attention to ultimately fulfill whose plan. Our plan? No. God's plan. Revelation chapter 4, verse 11. Right, right, we're going from one end of the Bible to the other end of the Bible. It says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. King James, right? I love the way it reads. For thou, for you, hast created all things. And for your pleasure. Ah, flop the thing, bro. I was going to say, and for my pleasure they are and were created. Because that's how we live, right? No, but, but it's not it's it's for your pleasure. They are and were created. That's a really important verse. It's for, see, God didn't make man and then see God didn't make man and then clap his hands at man's existence as he as he walks backward like off the stage of human existence. Ah, There's man who and leave man to do his thing. Yet we live like that. See? The impression that we get from popular culture is this is your world. Everyone wants to talk about their rights. What's mine? Like, how dare you? And who do you think you are? And and it's all coming from a premise that everyone is here for me. Like, this is my world. Like, Robert, do what you want to do. Like, knock yourself out because you only live once, right? Now, the fact of the matter is God is transcendent. That means he's, he's distant and he's separate. And he's distinct from his creation. But at the same time, God is transcendent, but he's also what? The technical theological term is he's immanent. And what that basically means is that God is close and he's involved. That's why we could pray earlier, draw near to God and he will what? He'll draw near to you because he's transcendent. Don't get it tr- he's transcendent. He's transcendent. Dif- he's, he's separate. He's distinct. God is different. But at the same time, he's up close and he's personal. He's imminent. And he's involved. See, God didn't wind the world up like a clock and then just walk away and leave it to do its thing. Tick, tock, tick, tock. God didn't leave the world to its own devices. We were, made, we were made for God, not the other way around, and we've been brought into this world by God for God. If you miss this, you miss the purpose of your existence. <laughs> and I'd suggest that's a big thing. Okay, let's look at one of the reasons that God made man. Genesis 2.15, continuing our thought. It says, Genesis 2.15, the Lord God, he took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Here you go, Adam. I love you. I made you. You're going to benefit from being in this environment, but hey, you're actually here for me. And you get blessed in the process. But just know that, Adam. Right? Genesis 2.15. This was a part of the original purpose for creating man. Day one through five, everything was good, we heard, but there was a dilemma, we said. Then day six, God makes Adam resolving the dilemma, but not completely. There's something that is also not good. Genesis two verse eighteen. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that what? I just want to see if you're with me. It's not good that the man should be alone. And I love the way the ESV renders that. I'm going to come back to that. It is not good that the man should be alone. It doesn't say it's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. God's going to make Adam a helper. Ladies, how many of you know men need help? (laughs) Swiftly moving on. Men need help, but not necessarily <laughs> Men need help, but not necessarily the way we anticipate. <laughs> I know what you're thinking when you think, "I know men need help. I know my man needs help. I know that man needs help. I'm not looking at anybody. I know that man needs help." Right I'm not looking what direction my wife's pointing in. Um, Adam needed help. In order to fulfill God's purpose in the context of marriage. This verse doesn't prove the presumption that every man and every woman must be married. Like, it's not good for a man to be alone or a woman to be alone. Because look, it says that in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. That's not what it's saying. Because then every single person that doesn't get married... We've got, pro- we got, got a big problem in it, right? And <clears throat> I think that would be inconsistent with the rest of the Bible. In First Corinthians 7, Paul talks about those who don't get married, in the context of, of believers, who have a special gift. They have a call to singleness. And I, I, I kind of term this part one, just having a chat with Pastor E briefly, like part, this part one, like there's going to be more. Probably not next week, but over the course of maybe, you know, time, we will return to this issue of marriage. It's just that I felt like I'm going to say this stuff and people are going to be like, hmm, well, what, what? what did you just say? Huh? Well, what about this? And what about, what about that? And I thought, I'm going to open up a whole can of worms. So just to answer that and make everybody feel comfortable, this is part one. Hey, so don't rush me. <laughs> no, you can rush me. You can rush past it. You rush past the P. And we'll do, our best. we'll do our best to answer whatever questions you may have. First Corinthians 7, listen to what Paul says about those who don't get married, right? So it's not that everybody gets married. Now, concerning the matters about which you wrote, the Corinthian church wrote to him asking questions about marriage. He said, I'm um, saying, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, hey, how many of you know some things don't change? Ain't nothing new under the sun? Like, oh, what, they got tempted sexually to immorality in the, in the Bible? What? Yeah. Each man on that basis should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. <laughs> Verse 6. Now as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as I myself am. Hey. That, that sounds like that contradicts what we just read in Genesis 2. 18. Wait a minute. God's saying it's not good for man to be alone. Thinking, huh, everybody should be married. No. And then and then Paul says that seems like he says the opposite. You know what? None of you should be married, because Paul himself weren't married, and he will confirm that in if you like in verse 8. He says, but he says, he says, but each, I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one to one kind, one of another. He says, verse 8, to the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. Hey! You see, that's the next one of them doors. You open that door, that leads to a series of doors that leads to a series of doors that we're not trying to go through today. (sighs) My point is, to the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am, but if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to be aflame with passion. Another translation says to burn, which is a very helpful term, right? Yeah, we want the one that we can all identify with. It's like, and, and I think and the point is, not everyone's going to get married. Some people are particularly gifted with, 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 in, in that regard. Now, this is further clarified by Jesus in Matthew 19, verse 11 through 12, if you want to have a look at that. And I think this is probably... Part of, partly where Paul gets his response from from the Lord Jesus in Matthew 19. So when, so when God says it's not good that the man should be alone, Adam, he's speaking to Adam. He's speaking to him particularly, and men called to marriage generally. You have to work out whether or not you're supposed to be married or not. That's, that's, that's for you to work out in I would say, in Christian community. You know what I mean? Trying to figure out what God's purpose and plan is for you with regards to that. And might I just say, you know, if you're running around and you can't control yourself sexually, I would suggest that that's a strong indicator that you are supposed to be married. Because you're the brother or the sister running around a flaming passion. Paul says, Get married. Right, and the sooner you realise that, the better. Amen. Less damage in it. And you know what? I say that not flippantly because it happened to me. I got saved. Sometimes I remember back in the day when my kids were young. Kind of, you'd tell them something, and they'd they'd like disagree with you. You know what I mean? And it would be with relation to stuff they're going through as youngsters. And they look at you like you don't understand. Like you're a man. Like I was never a child. Like I was born big. I got, I got saved when I was 22. How many of you know there's a whole life you can live up to that point? And I did. And so I'm not pointing a finger at you if you're in a place where you are running up and down and don't know what to do with this passion and, you know what I'm saying, struggling and tutus, you don't even really want to be doing that. But you find yourself doing that only like the day after or the week after or nine months later saying, Bruh, Remember I talked about the fact that people are in pain and and often they don't know why? Partly because because we're ignorant of what God says or we tend to neglect what God says or we're rejecting what God says. Okay, so we're talking about marriage. It's not good that the man Adam should be alone. I would suggest that there are three main aspects to the primary purpose of marriage as defined biblically. And I'll say that again. I would suggest that there are three main aspects to the primary purpose of marriage as defined biblically. And the three come under one title. And the title is, Marriage is for God. Marriage is for God. And I've got two pictures up there. I've got Brother Christopher Ash, who's the director at the Cornhill um, Bible Preacher training course, um, which is where a few of us went. You know, just a amen, Ben, for real, brother. Um, and the other guy is Dr. Bockham, Professor Vodibacum, a brother from America. Never met him, but I look forward to, to meeting him. He's got a murderous men's ministry. We actually even applied to invite him to come over and do a men's ministry for us at one point. And it was, it was feasible, but at the time, it was just impractical. But what I'm going to share with you is a combination of, of what these very well-learned brothers have communicated. I wish I could say this is my material, our material. But it does involve stuff that we've kind of learned also over the years. Marriage is for God, like uh, all of our married couples who have been through marriage counselling with us know this, because they, they got the book that Christopher wrote, and that's the title of the book, Marriage is for God and you know, this is not the, it doesn't paint the media like Hollywood version of being married, you know, you're sitting across the table, candlelit dinner and the, the lights are low and they are looking into one another's eyes, each being everything to the other. It's like, oh, like this is about me making you happy. Like this is the perfect picture of marriage. Well, parts of that are partially pictures of marriage, but not primarily. You've got even Christian books that are tr- encouraging this perspective, You know what I mean? How to achieve a happy and fulfilled relationship. But you see, biblical marriage is delight, but in a shared purpose. It's intimacy, but with a common goal. It's together serving in God's world. Marriage is for God. It's not us, but we, as I said, do benefit. The question that I'd like to pose is, why did God invent marriage? See, different people get married for different reasons. And the adverse is, people end up staying together or separating for different reasons. But the Bible, I would argue, we would argue, gives us three views. And the three views are, these are the procreation, illustration, and sanctification. Procreation, illustration, sanctification. First of all, procreation. Procreation is not just having kids. I think I used to think that for years, you know what I'm saying? That's a big part of marriage. Having children. It is. It's massive. <laughs> Evidently. But it's not just having children, it's also training them. Being Responsible. Look at this verse, Genesis 1, very common verse, we all know it. But look, God says, be fruitful and multiply, but that's not all that he says. He says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That means have kids, have lots of kids. But he also adds that in conjunction with doing that, you subdue the earth. And I'm suggesting that the two things that I mentioned in there are bearing, yes, but also training, because the whole earth, as we know it, is in. What do you call it when there's a coup? When someone's fighting against okay. protest, a coup. I can't think of. The, I can't think of the world, but it's like when uprising, when this is the way things are supposed to be, but we're not having it. Like Arab Spring. We're not having it. We're going to fight against the power that be. We're going to, we're going to That's the way, thank you, the earth is in rebellion. No wonder God says, I want my people to populate the earth. But not only do I want them to populate it, because we need the numbers. You're going to fight a battle. You need numbers. But you also need individuals who are skilled and trained to, to fight in the battle that is taking place. And, and, and again, maybe I'm introducing concepts that you've never heard before. It's like, how I many of you know there's a battle going on? Not even out there. There's a battle going on and it's raging. Amen. And um, God knew that from the gate. And so we're arguing that a part of God's purpose for marriage is procreation, bearing children, but also training children. Because we need to take responsibility for for the planet and everything that's in it. But we need to bring everything under the lordship of Christ, spreading the image of God throughout the earth. Because my kids are supposed to look to some degree like me. Your kids look like you. God has kids, and guess what God wants for his kids? For them to look like him. supposed to look like him, so he's like, spread my image, spread my image throughout the earth, and those who go bearing my image will subdue and rule that part of the earth. What does Jesus pray in Matthew 6? Pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, God's in heaven, right? Your kingdom come, your will be done where? On earth as it is in heaven. So every time an individual gets snatched out of the kingdom of darkness and placed into the kingdom of light, oh, I'm I'm now a different person. I, I used to live this way, but now I'm here in a kingdom of light representing another God, like representing another dad, because the Bible teaches when I was over here, the devil was my dad, but when I transitioned and, he, and God adopted me into, my, into His family, He became my father. Now He wants me to look like Him and represent Him in the earth, spreading His image. And how I many of you know procreation? Again, it's not something I can really get into. Procreation categorically is male and female. And I love I love this training aspect. Well, let me come back to it. Bearing, it's not just about having children. In Psalm 127, never got it up there. No, I never put it in. In Psalm 127, it says, "Blessed is the man who fills his quiver." Right? Another translation says, "Blessed is the man who has a quiver full with regards to children." Right? I like the ESV. It doesn't say, "Blessed is the man who has a quiver full," because it sounds like. It's not down to me to fill the quiver. It's like, whatever I get in there, I get in there, and I use what i got. Blessed is the man who has a quiver full. No. The ESV says, blessed is the man who fills his quiver. Because the, the context is, the man is a warrior, and he's going out to battle. And as, as, as husbands, as fathers, we need to realize that, you know what? We're in, like I said, we're in a battle. We're in a war. We have to see our children... As soldiers in this war, and if I want to win the war, I need a batch of them. So let me fill my quiver with. Now this is so countercultural because people are saying, you know, don't. Everything in the world is telling you not to have children, and and that's and that's externally. Sometimes internally, there's stuff in us saying, I don't want no one. Sometimes I don't want no kids. And two, if I do, I don't want a whole heap of kids, right? For, oh, like I said, I'm opening many different cans of worms here that I can't really attend to. I'm like spinning plates that I can't keep up. Blessed is the man, the warrior who fills his quiver. Like I, I, I'm not going to embarrass him, but I could get my son to come up here and I could say, you know what, this, this, he's a he's an arrow in my qu- This guy is a lethal weapon. He's a leaf in the hands of the devil. Imagine if, the, imagine, like Pastor E prayed for Denzel. Like, if the devil gets a hold of them, how many of you know, mass destruction. Amen. They will cause devastation. But anyhow, you get them over here. There's one thing that don't change. They're still devastating. <laughs> but now for the kingdom of light versus the kingdom of darkness. They're arrows. And I'm, I'm like, you know, this... If I, I wish I'd known this How many years I've been married? Two decades ago. Like with clarity. And a lot of you guys are blessed and benefited as you're hearing this because this is gonna transform your life as a parent, as a mother, as a father, and it's gonna transform the lives of your children. Feel your quiver fall. The second thing is training. Bearing, training. And to, 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 to add to that, remember we read this earlier. Ephesians 6, children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, that you may live long on the land. We talked about that during our dedication. Notice verse 4, fathers. Man, I wanted to talk about this today, but ain't got time. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord, because They're arrows. And you want them to fire in the right direction by God's grace. Colossians 3 says, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. It's interesting, in it. it? Says, it says, fathers, don't be harsh with your children. And now it's saying, husbands, love your wives. Don't be harsh with... You. There's something, there's a propensity that husbands have. And I know that because it was, it was true in my life. And it's something God's still trying to... Work out of me this harshness. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, in everything. Um, For this this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Oh my gosh, we ain't got time. See, now this is phenomenal with regards to an argument that comes from, well, we don't have to be married to have kids. And we sit back and we say, right, it's true, you know. You don't have to be married to have children. So then what do we say to that? What do we say to, to, to the gay community that we love? I mean, I mean, I'm talking about the gay community. We love the gay community. We want, we want to see God work in the gay community and save the gay community, right? But what do we say when they turn around and say, look, we can, provide, we, we can have children through fostering and adoption. We don't have to be married. And we're not even heterosexual, we're homosexual, and we can still have... How do we answer that? Well, we say, well, you know what? Bearing kids is one thing, and then arriving at children, or by, albeit or another route, fostering adoption, is, is one thing, but can you fulfill the, the, the biblical mandate of training them in God's way? No, you can't. And that helps us. got that from Voddy. You can look up Voddy's stuff on Marriage Man, it's, it's amazing because <clears throat> it's a, not just about bearing, but it's about training. One of the things I, I say um, recently is that I'm sorry that I didn't have more children. Like, back in the day, like, you know, I, I salute my wife, because she was like, she, she wanted to have more kids. And I was like, when we got to two, the long, the, I can't give you the long story, but Helen couldn't have children at one point. She was, she was barren clinically, medically, and um, you know, we feel that the Lord worked a miracle and she was able to have children. Um, but then when we had two, I was good. You know what I mean? But she wanted to have more. I was like, you know what? We're having no more kids. And it came from a heart of raw. How are we going to feed them? How, nappies, pram. Like, you know what I'm saying? Apparently, it costs it cost 180,000 pounds to raise a child from zero to 18. I don't know that how they come to that figure. But whatever the figure is, I know it's, it's dope, You know what I mean? So I was like, I ain't trying to have no more. And, and for years Helen, f- What's that, bro? <laughs> the man says more than that. <laughs> Boy, the man says more. One eight, 180 grand, that's nothing. It's more than that. Especially if, you, if your kids haven't got expensive taste. <laughs> man. So... So Helen said, look, okay, and and, and what crushed me was our third child died. Helen had a miscarriage, and uh, maybe some of you guys don't know that because it's quite a while ago. And when she had a miscarriage, I was like, wow. I saw her absolutely busted, like really hurt and the pain again, and I was like, what what am I going to do? And I thought, and then after after she kind of got over that, um, she was like, Robert, why don't we, if you don't want to have any more of your own natural children, why don't we, why don't we, why don't we foster? I was like, I ain't trying to have my own kids out here. I'm going well, to look after somebody else's picnic. I was like, I ain't fit. Now, you see how far the Lord has brought a brother. I'm, I'm going to get to sanctification in a minute, right? We're on procreation at the moment. I'm like, and, and, and this is me trying to be smart. She, I said, fostering. I said, hear what? I said, when our kids are grown up, then we can think about foster. Because in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, that. Ten, ten, we're going to have 10 years, you know, before they. Oh, we can talk, we can think about that then, just to kind of brush her off. And you know how quickly time passes. <laughs> Tutu's like, we got to that point, and she's like, Robert, what are you saying? And I must, I must commend her. Because can, you know how hard it must be for a woman in a place like that where she wants to have more kids? And my thing was, you know what, you got two already, like, jam. Like, like you know what I mean? It's like, off-key, man. I was, who was, I, was, I was the typical, like, pop culture affected. This is about me. Hey, I'm married to you. Like, and that's, a, that's a big thing out here. <laughs> Let alone that, I'm, you, I, you, you You got two kids and, and I'm here, still with you, raising... I'm, like, in my, I'm saying, in my mind, I'm thinking, yo, I'm like, you should be giving me ratings out here. <laughs> not giving me drama out here. But I'm just... My heart was wicked. And I need to, I need to drag Pastor E into this, but maybe I will, looking for some company. <laughs> it was a thing. All right, let me not bring him into it, but I've already done that anyway, so... I, I was determined that I wasn't gonna have no kids to the point where I went and had the SNP. What's it called, like medically? I went and had a vasectomy. I'm, like I'm, listen, I weren't joking at it. I'm serious at it. I'm not. Look at me. I'm not having no more kids because. And I think you have to add that other aspect. I mean, it's hard raising kids, man. Listen, you don't. If you don't know, you don't. You, you actually don't know. But if you if you do know, you you you, you know. <laughs> and I'm saying it got to the point where I could I, I, ten years, kids are big now, Helen's like, What are you saying about fostering? I'm like, I can't I, what can I say now? And God's been changing me over the years, I'm like <laughs> I'm like, All right, honey, let's think about fostering. <laughs> And again, that's a long story. And as you know, you know that's, that's history now. That's kind of water under the bridge. And we are fo- we're, in a, we're, we're currently fostering. But um, I'm saying I wish I had more kids. I look back now and I think, Robert, man, you was off key. And I'm sorry that I never had a quiver fall. Because then I would have been thinking more like a warrior. And I'd be committed to training them harder. It doesn't mean it's, it's, they're not going to necessarily come out perfect. In the Psalms, it says, You raise up a child in a way that they should go, and when they're older, they won't depart from it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? There might be t- 20, 30 years in, in between you seeing the answer of that. And, and it's not even a promise. You know what I'm saying? It's not a promise. It's not cast iron. Generally speaking, you raise children in a way they should go, and when they're older, they're they, dead. And, and you know, some here are, are praying for children that are prodigal, that have gone off the rails. You know what I mean? Um, but we trust in God by his grace that it will work in their lives. Amen? Um, yeah, that's my, 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 yeah, that's our testimony. And um, so, so think more like a warrior in that sense. And bearing and training. Two of the other real quick things are under procreation, I'd add, and this is Christopher Ash, I'd add Pleasure. Under procreation, hey, marriage is for pleasure. I know I can't talk much about that. For those of you that are single, but just read Song of Solomon, chapter 7, verse 1 to 9, if you're married. Proverbs 15, 19, 1 Corinthians 7, verse 2 to 5. If you're not married, don't read these verses. Don't read them. Don't read them. (laughs) Public order, as well as pleasure, with regards to procreation, public order... That without the public covenant or commitment, we end up in a bad place in terms of society. And we observe this in the Bible and in practical experience. Without the protection of marriage, we see disintegration. This Disintegration in society. We see sexual chaos, family disintegration, social disintegration, physical abuse. Marriage provides protective good. Procreation, pleasure, but also public order. It's more than just about it's more than just about having children. It's about replicating, raising and training them so they re- subdue the earth. Now number two, illustration. I ain't got a slide, yes I have. Number two, illustration. I'm going to have to do this quick now because my time's nearly gone right. 45 minutes already. Wow. <clears throat> illustration is the second one. Procreation, illustration. Marriage is a physical picture of a spiritual relationship. Ephesians 5 talks about Jesus being married to the church. How many of you know, Jesus ain't, ain't going to leave the church. He's committed to the church. He's his bride. He ain't leaving her she might want to walk away from him but he's not remember we read earlier <clears throat> that it's not good for a man to be al- not good for the man to be alone there's a, there's a lovely um, picture in that with regards to the trinity because how many of you know the trinity is a community it's a triunity it's father son and spirit and they all relate to one another beautifully and Adam by himself is a limited illustration. If he's supposed to be a picture, if he's supposed to be reflecting God, he's limited on his own. He's a limited picture of, of unity. That's why the title given to the threefold relationship, <clears throat> the title given to the head is what? Who's the head of the, the, the relationship? The family. Jesus says, I don't do anything apart from that which I see my father doing. And it's amazing, isn't it, that in marriage, the man, the husband, is given that title once he has children, that is a father. It's a heavy title to bear, Jason. Heavy title to bear, my brother. And 24 years in, I'm learning every day what that means, to be a father. And I mean... But it's because our family unit is reflecting God. As a Trinity. That's why marriage is to be permanent and families are to be united. It's a reflection of the Trinity. We illustrate the unity and diversity of the Trinity in our family. Understanding this will impact us tremendously. You understand this, You, you won't be so quick to walk out on your marriage. As difficult and as hard and as painful as it might be whether we're fathers, mothers, or children. We're all affected when we understand how it illustrates God. Marriage is for God. The third thing is sanctification, and I know I can't spend a whole lip of time on this. Sanctification. Sanctification is active and it's passive. Active sanctification, something that you do, avoid sexual immorality, Right? In First Corinthians 6, oops, yep, verse 18, it says, flee section of morality. And it, the, the encouragement would be to flee toward marriage. In First Thessalonians 4, it says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that is your set-apartedness, your distinctness. Remember, God is distinct. So that in some way, we need to reflect that. And he's saying, "Be this, be like me. Don't be like everybody else. Be distinct. Your sanctification, this is God's will, that you abstain from sexual immorality, sex outside of the context of of marriage, the marriage union. So it's any kind of sex outside of marriage, whether it's heterosexual sex or homosexual sex. Verse 4 that each one of you know how to control his or her own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God. Sex can, sex can be wonderful, but sex can be very dangerous. You heard the, the, the illustration about the fireplace, right? Fire in the fireplace is nice. It's is nice, it's warm, and you can toast marshmallows, and it warms the house, but anyhow that fire get out of the hearth, it get out of the fireplace, it will burn the house down sex is like that. So actively, may God help us to abstain from sexual immorality. It says in Proverbs, the man who strays outside of his marriage, he says he's struck by an arrow that goes through his liver. Keep the sex thing between you and your wife and if you're not married, allow it. Because it's only going to cause pain and heartache in the long run, eventually. But thank God for his grace. Because even in that, God can. So actively, that's what we need to do. Passively, this is what's done to you now. God, is, you know, God takes marriage and he uses it to sanctify us. Sanctifies those who are married. Passively, it's learning to live with an imperfect sinner. Now, I, there's one thing with the stuff that I can do, but what about the stuff that she does? I've got no control over that. I'm, pa- I'm passive in that sense and stuff is done to me or done to you or, or I'm doing to my wife. In the context of marriage, see, I don't get to live for me anymore. She doesn't get to live for herself anymore. I mean, marriage will crush your selfishness or vice versa. You'll end up crushing that person. Like, if, if we don't do... What the scripture says in terms of humbling ourselves under the mighty hand of God. Marriage is like a chisel, like a jackhammer. Again, that's Vodhi who communicates that. It's like a jackhammer to your flesh. Vodhi says, he says, somebody asked him the question, where did you grow up? And he said, Partly in LA, mostly when I got married. Now, how true is that? I tell him, man, marriage will grow you up. Or you, would, or you would duck out. But if you stay in there, I tell you, God will use marriage to change you in ways that you wouldn't be changed otherwise. In First Corinthians seven, verse twenty-eight, and we're nearly done. But if you do marry, <clears> He <throat> says, He says you have not sinned. Because <laughs> many of you might be put off by marriage now. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles. Another translation says, you will have trouble in the flesh. And Paul says, you know what? I'd like to spare you of that. This is one of the verses we talk about. You like you, like you want to get married? I mean, it's, imagine you've got people saying, yeah, we want to get married. And then you turn around and say, what? You, you want to get married? You should be encouraging that, right? Part of the thing is, in, is warning them. Sometimes I wish, Lord, I'm like, Lord, Lord Jesus. I'm in some situation in my yard. Sometimes I'm like, look, Lord God. I'm like, why didn't you show me this verse before I got married? <laughs> I, said, <laughs> I said amen. Well, I don't know if I can be quick to say amen to that one. But, but amen to your amen, I mean. Yeah. But you're right. It's like, hey, I see people running into marriage like, what? 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 I'm like. Do you really know what you're getting involved in? And um, it's not a deterrent to prevent you, but it's just, you know what? Walking with your eyes wide open, isn't it? To be forewarned is to be be forearmed. And that that not to to afflict, you know what I'm saying, and to get violent with your partner, to be forearmed. (laughs) Just so 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 you can actually beat your own flesh. That's what Paul said he had to do. He said, "I buffet my body." You know what I mean. And um, take yourself outside and deal with (laughs) yourself. Deal with yourself. You know what I mean. I want to take. You know the whole. uh, You want to step outside. Take yourself outside and go beat up yourself. (laughs) Don't beat up your spouse. But Paul says, "Look, I'm not just gonna. I'm gonna tell you straight. I'd rather spare you." Hey, ain't it? Have to keep moving on. So let's bring this whole thing about marriage back to the Bible. Now, I may not have been able to convince you this this morning slash this afternoon. You might have heard all that and be like, yeah, like, whatever. But I'm saying, this is what the Bible says. And it actually is for our benefit and fundamentally it's for God's glory. Why? Because marriage is not for us. Marriage marriage is for God. Procreation, illustration, sanctification, and it's all for the glory of God. Why? Because marriage matters. Marriage matters. When marriage is honoured by single or married people, God gets the glory. But when marriage is dishonoured, By single or married people, the devil gets the glory. Marriage was designed by God for God. I'm going to ask the guys to come join me if they can, if they will. You don't have to, but can we? (laughs) Remember I said to you, I was all over the place this morning. So, um, As they're coming, feel free to come. I made it sound like I don't want you to come now, didn't (laughs) it? Now come join me, please do if you can work let me get of your way you need this you need this Bex? yes, you can have it. I don't need it. It's a bit too high okay um as 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 the band are coming you know the the bible says. F- Um, faithful are the wounds of a friend. The kisses of an enemy are deceitful. So someone can come up to you and smile and say, yeah, really like, oh, that's a nice dress. That's a nice outfit. And they can like build you up and make you feel good. But it's deceitful. Or give you a hug and yeah, you're my boy, you're my girl. Like from day like but they don't really mean it. It's deceitful. But the Bible says, it says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. That is someone who's going to, you know, like your, your, like your real bridging, like you've got bogey in your nose, they'll Because like, fam. Cause they, don't want, they don't want you to be embarrassed, right? Like, if your breath smells, they just, and they've got some polos and they, some extra strong mints and like, bruv, take one of them. Yeah. That's a true friend, isn't it? They're not trying to embarrass you or nothing. And they don't not tell you. They don't not. And I know, I know some of the things that I shared this, this, this afternoon were quite strong. And I know that, you know, there are brothers and sisters here, either in the family here at Calvary Chapel, South London, or not yet members of the family that is the family here, or even maybe the family of God. You might not even be a Christian. You know what I mean? But on a level, it's like... It's like, me- it's like medicine. You ever had an injection? Yesterday, I went to get a, a scan. I had an MRI yesterday. Nothing major, nothing serious. Um, uh, and um, I hate injections. Um, I went for this scan, and I'm getting ready. The man strapped me up in this thing, put me in this thing, lie me down, can't move, da-da-da-da-da. And he said, oh, by the way, we're going to give you this injection. It's a contrast injection. We're going to put stuff in your fluid, in your body, to- and then we're going to put you back into... Co-. And I'm like... This was a, this is a scan. Like, I'm, I'm not supposed to be getting an injection. In my m- I nearly started arguing with the brother. I was like, inje- I don't like injections. I hate injections. And for some reason, my body just cramps up. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm just a chicken, in it? Don't like it. But you know what? Not yesterday, because. but normally, the way injections work is they hurt initially, but they're actually going to... They, they have, they have substance, a substance in them that's going to contribute to your benefit. You know what I mean? Like you give a, a baby an injection, they don't like it because it hurts, but you know this is going to help you. And I'd like to think that some of, the, some of the difficult things that are shared, some of the hard things are shared, you know what I mean? You wouldn't, you wouldn't take them. You know, it says in Proverbs also, it says, it says you rebuke a fool and he'll hate you, but rebuke a wise man and he'll love you. And the same, go, same is true for women. You know what I'm saying? It's like you rebuke someone, they're vexed. They're like, how dare you talk to me like that? You, you know what I'm saying? How, can you talk, how could you say that? You know what I mean? And then they walk away angry rather than listening to what you're saying. That's a fool. Or I'm never going to chat to that person again. What? I'm going to sit for them. What you want to do is you want to be a wise person and say, right, I don't like that and it hurt and I don't even want to hear that. But I'm going to walk away and I'm going to be like, Psh, you know, they're Right. That's, that's, it's true that's true and I need to hear that the Bible says that's a wise person you know what I mean so I'd just like to think that you guys are right and there's me i'm trying to I ain't trying to wing it but I thought maybe not, the, the stuff ain't plugged in we're not working waiting for, you you guys are listening praise the Lord they're listening that's what it is um, so um sh- sh- i'm going to pray and then maybe you guys can lead us in a song and then we'll close Heavenly Father, thank you that Mm. you're very gracious. Seems to me that you knew we were going to flop the thing horribly right from the garden. I mean, you made the world and everything in it and man in six days. Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2 and by the time chapter 3 hit, everything mash up or so it seemed Eve sinned, Adam flot and in comes death in comes suffering in comes pain in a world that was, that was not familiar with these concepts and all because man rebelled against you or because man was under the impression that the world was for him it wasn't for you And Father, that encourages my heart. So it it, it breaks my heart, but it encourages my heart. Because right in Genesis 3.15, you set a plan in motion that you'd already prepared beforehand, before the world began, that you were going to redeem this world. You were going to save it from destruction. And Father, I thank you that you have done that through the Lord Jesus. Jesus coming and fixing the problem that Adam created where Adam was given the opportunity to sin and he did Jesus was tempted in all points yet without sin and he became the perfect substitute the perfect sacrifice just like that animal in the garden that covered Adam and Eve's sins when you made coats for them when you slew that, that animal in a similar fashion but in greater fashion the Lord Jesus the innocent victim the Lamb of God dies in our place so that we can be forgiven So that we can be brought near to you. We can be brought back to you. That we can be rescued. That we could be redeemed. And all because of your grace. We don't deserve it. And I'd like to say thank you. Thank you for that amazing plan. And now we have the opportunity to live for you. To live with you. And to be. Image bearers. And that particularly in a specific sense, through marriage. Lord, would you you help us to be open and willing to accept your perspective on life rather than everybody else's? And um, would you give us the grace that we need to follow you to respond, Lord, to your word and to your way? In Jesus' name.